May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and uh, I'm Jean Bereson from the Clay Center for Young Healthy Minds. And I'm Khadija Booth-Watkins. And we got some questions from through our Instagram uh, Q&As, and uh, I'd like to introduce Dr. Gagan Joshi, who is director of the Bressler Center for uh, Autism. He's also on the faculty uh, of, psychiatry, of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry at Massachusetts General Hospital. So, Joshi... Uh, the question is, how do you find out if your teenager has undiagnosed autistic spectrum disorder? Well, thank you, Jean, and thank you, Khadija, for inviting me. Uh, well, let me put it this way. There's a good news and a bad news. If the diagnosis of autism has been delayed to the extent that in, in teenagers, you're thinking of a child may have autism, the good news is that the autism which they have is definitely of a more subtle kind, more higher cognitive kind, and the, not the one which is obvious uh, in, in the behaviors from the get-go. The, uh, uh, the, the downside to this is that uh, they miss the opportunity for interventions because the diagnosis is delayed. Now, we know that the social demands in our lifespan are, the, are really extreme in the teenage years. Now, the autism, which is often diagnosed late, is like individuals who are intellectually capable, who have intact language skills, who are in the real world in regular schools attending uh, classes, and, and, and they are the ones who face the uh, enormous social demands, especially in the teenage years when things are in transition and in flux. And uh, these are the individuals who make good eye contact. So they don't give an early clue that they could be autistic, but they do make good eye contact, but they don't read emotions very well. They are good in reading very strong emotions, but as they transition into teenage years, the demand to read subtle emotions and the conversation in teenagers often shifts from being verbal to, to non-verbal. These, these individuals start struggling socially to interact. If if your child has a history uh, which can suggest that they could have autism spectrum disorder of say nonverbal learning disability, sensory processing disorder, auditory processing disorders as in early childhood, uh, those are kind of two clues that they could have autism spectrum disorder. What happens is as, they, as the social demands increase as they become teenagers, there is more demand to uh, sort of be flexible. Uh, socially flexible. They struggle with that social flexibility. There's more demand to read between the lines and 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 have an abstract understanding. They do struggle with that. They don't get the nuance of higher order jokes or puns. They don't understand sarcasm too well. They find it very difficult to social uh, to socially share things, uh, be in social activities. Uh, be a team player, whereas the demand to uh, share uh, activities goes up as you become a teenager. All these things, when they come together, they slowly feel more socially isolated. Uh, oftentimes, they do have childhood friends, uh, which they carry on with, but they tend to lose them in teenage years because uh, the teenager's interests shift. And usually these kids have those childhood interests, which they are still uh, collecting baseball cards or having, you know, um, Barbie doll collections, or they are having uh, having these comic books they are collecting, and they don't shift into the teenage interests or even the fashion because of their sensory dysregulation. So they feel they they get very quickly ostracized. 
what we see in our clinics is, and the CDC data shows this, that oftentimes these high-functioning autism, so-called, they tend to sort of present not for their social difficulties. They present for their emotional difficulties, uh, oftentimes coming into play because of these social challenges they are facing. And, and they present with uh, more anxiety, emotional dysregulation. And anxiety and emotional dysregulation, uh, uh, they, they, when they present in this population, they make their autistic behaviors worse. When you're anxious, you become more unempathic. You're not making a better eye contact. You're not reading emotions well. Uh, you, you, you become very rigid and you don't want to change your ways. And, and then these kids don't want to go to school, not because of their intellectual challenges, but because they're not able to manage the social challenges they face in school. So the classroom uh, activities are fine, but the recess time when they're in the break, they find it very overwhelming uh, to manage that. Now, in our program, we exclusively focus on uh, individuals who are intellectually capable, uh, who have language skills, the very kids we are talking about, and oftentimes not diagnosed till the early teens. Uh, in the Bressler program, we see them across the lifespan. If somebody has suspected diagnosis of autism, which we find half the population does, uh, they have never been diagnosed before with autism and they're diagnosed for the first time in their teenage years, which is our majority of the population in the clinic. We uh, have a program to take care of these individuals through our uh, outpatient uh, clinic. And uh, there's a Bressler program website you can access uh, through MGH and uh, you can... Uh, uh, request for an evaluation through the web-based uh, screening and evaluation process. Uh, or we, we, we are there to, to help these children. Um, um, I, I also want to add one more thing that the COVID had a really a very uh, a negative impact on the social development, even of the typicals. And in the autism individuals, it had an impact on the kids not getting the services, the things done through Zoom. And it has been extremely taxing for parents uh, to substitute for uh, providers which they uh, had access to uh, prior to COVID. So um, these are challenging times. And these individuals with autism, the challenges are um, uh, extreme in, in the teenage years. And uh, it, it is extremely important uh, to sort of be vigilant about their social lives. And if you notice a child who is socially isolating, who's getting more anxious, who's getting more rigid, refusing to go to school, and uh, and, and sometimes these they are so, uh, it, it's a myth to say that they don't have insight. They do know that their social dance is not going well. Uh, they do not know why. And, and they may even at times uh, uh, make claim to have friends, but in reality, nobody's inviting them for birthday parties. They are not going over to their friends' houses. Nobody's coming over. So just to keep an eye that they may be, they are socially feeling very challenged and, and emotionally dysregulated. Well, so based on all that you said, you know, I think this is really, really helpful. And so if I suspect that I have a child who has um, autism spectrum disorder, and we're not fortunate enough to be in a place where there is a breast center like we have here at MGH. What, what am I to do? What are the next steps? So the next steps would be uh, if your child has autism spectrum disorder and your providers are not mental health providers uh, at the moment, uh, it could be to reach out to the pediatrician and, and uh, describe to them what are you concerned about? What are you observing? Uh, which makes you think child has autism spectrum disorder. And based on the age range, there are these screeners 
Uh, we use typically something called social responsiveness scale. It's a very sensitive screener to look into the social emotional competence. And, and it has a screening threshold where it can tell you that what is the what is the burden of impairment in their social functioning. So there are screeners of different kinds with different ages. We can screen them for autism spectrum disorder. And, and the pediatricians tend to do a good job with it. If you have a mental health provider, then they are more, more capable of uh, sort of accessing these screeners for autism. And also a very common screener we use in psychiatry called child behavior checklist in which we have a profile for autism spectrum, a certain profile which suggests to us that the child may be suffering from autism spectrum disorder. So one can uh, get them screened for, for uh, autism spectrum. So, so uh, Joshi, uh, you mentioned that they typically have uh, intact uh, intellect, uh, they have good language functioning, uh, but they miss social cues. How, how often are they aware of missing the boat? How often do they feel unhappy, uh, sad, depressed, that they're losing their friends, that they, that they don't have their friends anymore? Uh, or do they tend not, not to be aware of, of what's missing in their life? More often than not, what happens is that they are very painfully made to be aware that something is missing here in my social understanding. Uh, for example, if they don't read the subtle nonverbal cues, and if some kids are giving negative subtle nonverbal to back off, and they don't back off, and then they give extreme nonverbal, and then they find that extremely traumatic and, and, and very inappropriate, and they do not know why somebody suddenly yelled at them when they were not able to read the subtle cues, more often than not, it takes a, a, a kind of a journey for them for years to understand that they may not be good in reading nonverbal communication, but it happens not too early. Uh, There's a very painful journey for them to, to go through. But at the same time, they are often with these intellectually capable population, they are, they, are, they, are in, they, they develop this insight and understanding and emotional understanding of what their challenges are. But, but it takes a long time for them to understand this. And this is where if they are diagnosed early, then a, a mental health provider or a therapist can help them understand that this is what they're missing. This is not, they're not reading it right. And that's why oftentimes uh, they, they get that kind of a negative response from their peers. But, but, but uh, do they ever acquire the social, so do they ever really acquire the social communication skills that they've that they've missed out on or do they learn to kind of understand themselves and cope with it and accept the fact that they're limited and say pick professions or situations that don't necessarily require them to be uh, socially interactive and Gene you're absolutely right so in terms of the understanding, I, I give an example of if you're colorblind, the first thing you need to know you're colorblind, that you cannot read uh, emotions well. And, and oftentimes they accommodate to it. I have, I have very rarely seen someone having an emotionally emotional understanding of innately reading nonverbal communication, but they do, do sort of do accommodate to it. They learn different ways of handling it. They oftentimes will ask you, uh, 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 very bluntly at times that, uh, you know, are you upset or, or say things just to validate whether they are, if they're misreading, uh, whether they, they, 
they they uh, they are right or correct or not so they try to encourage conversations where they want the other person to be more verbal i do see with mothers that they 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 tend to become very uh, elaborate and very detailed because the kid cannot read between the lines or if the child sees the mother with some expression and the kid knows they're not able to read they'll nudge their parent to say what are you thinking uh, what um, what are you feeling so they do tend to develop this sense but do they really overcome uh, very rarely uh, I, i've yet to see one who who naturally overcomes this it's interesting i have a number of adult patients who um we used to call this Aspergers, right? Yes. <laughs> so, 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 so people might know what that is, but, but I have a number of adult patients who have become professors, uh, uh, academics, researchers, and they, uh, to their credit, they get it. They understand that they're limited and they've learned to kind of be aware of it. And hopefully the people around them that love them will also understand as well. Yeah. Knowingly or unknowingly, they end up in professions which are socially least demanding. <laughs> so that these, these, these struggles, uh, uh, they can minimize them. I have someone who I told him that you are better on stage than off stage. So never talk to the audience off stage. Just stay on stage. <laughs> and he does amazing on stage. <laughs> and, he, and he sort of tries to avoid personally interacting, which is, which is very not unstructured when they're off stage. Well, this has been great. Um, uh, is there anything that we haven't asked you about um, with these high-functioning people with autistic spectrum disorder that you would want parents or caregivers to understand uh, about about their, their teenage or young adult kids? One message I have for them is that teenage years are the worst years in their lives. And, 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 and parents do tend to feel very hopeless and they then tend to underestimate the potential of their children. What I've seen over the years, and I've lost my hair now and I'm grown old, I've seen uh, kids for more than 15 years in my care, under my care. And if one error I made, oftentimes was that I underestimated their potential. Autism spectrum disorder is not a static disorder, it changes. They do tend to overcome the challenges, uh, may not become proficient socially. But when you see a teenager with spectrum, uh, this is their most difficult phase of their life and and their life gets better as they get older so never lose hope well thanks so much for being with us and um if you're out there on instagram ask other questions and and joshi will hopefully have you back for a more prolonged podcast about asd but thank you very much and thank you gene thank you Khadija. and uh once again we hope that our conversation will help you have yours from gene Bresson. Musical Thank you.